So wonderful to see you here in God's house assembled today and we welcome all of you. Welcome all that are joining with us through our video stream. And aren't we so grateful for the Spirit of God that makes us one, brings us together. You can be miles and miles apart. You can be zip codes apart. You can be the other side of the world and yet in a moment be together in the presence of the Lord, right? We're so grateful for that. So let's continue to gather around His Word. If you want to take God's Word, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, that's a passage that uh, Audra read for us earlier. Now if you turn that passage, I've brought something with me here as a, an object lesson to start with. And it's very special to me. I want to share it with you. It's this right here. Everybody see that? Now you might be saying, really, Sam? A, 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 a television remote, that's, that's the lesson. <laughs> nay, nay. Forsooth. This is not a television remote. This is the scepter of my realm. The scepter of my realm. This is not... A remote control. This represents royal control right here. Royal control. Now, I say control because when I relinquish control from time to time <laughs> of my royal scepter, very bad things help happen in my realm. People in the room start changing channels, changing channels while talking at the same time, talking at the same time. Now, this, my people, is intolerable <laughs> in my kingdom. You see, my realm operates on a self-evident truth foundational to all of my realm, you can watch television or you can talk, but you cannot talk and watch television. Can I get a witness to that? So let it be written, so let it be done. Now, not long ago on one occasion, I relinquished momentarily my royal scepter and people were talking while they were watching television and flipping through the channels while they were talking. And so I took back my royal scepter. <laughs> and as I did so, one of the channels that was being flipped through caught my attention and I stopped the television right there. It was a program, I'd never seen it before, where all of the celebrity participants weren't talking, they were listening. And I thought, this is historic. 
I need to understand what this is all about. The celebrity participants were listening and they were listening with their backs turned to the performers. They were actually listening to the performers. Anybody know what that program's called? The Voice. All right. You all knew that very well. <laughs> the Voice. Now, I've watched it, uh, honestly, a couple of times, but what I like to watch when I've seen it a couple of times is the faces of the judges as somebody comes out to sing. Now, sometimes someone comes out to sing and the judges just wince <laughs> because it's terrible. And sometimes they smile because it's sweet. But every once in a while, all those judges have that jaw-drop moment, right? It's that jaw-drop moment when it's the voice, <laughs> an incredible voice. Now, there are times when you're reading through the Gospel of Luke and you thought, where in the world is he going with it? And I, I, I don't know if this is true of you, but especially as I'm reading through Luke, there's times like I feel like, Luke, you're changing the channels on me. I mean, you're just flipping through the channels one thing after another, one conversation after another, and I, I can't seem to keep up. And it seems like here, if you're in our text right now, it seems like in chapter 8, that's what Luke's doing. He's flipping through the channels. He's bringing together things that have happened in the life of Jesus, but they don't seem to go together. Now let's look at this. This passage is one of those times. He starts out with Jesus going on this mission, chapter 8. Are you there? Verse 1. He's going through the towns. He's teaching. He's traveling. You can sort of call this the travel channel, all right? And as he's teaching, then Luke flips us to the time he's teaching in parables. And so we listen to Jesus teach this parable, various parables. And then we're taken to another channel where Jesus is interpreting the parables. He's helping his followers understand the meaning of the parables. And then it really gets challenging because it seems like Luke, as he puts together these events in the life of Jesus, just brings in something that doesn't go along. He's been talking about seeds, and the next thing you know, in verse 16, he starts talking about a lampstand. From seeds to lampstands. And he records Jesus saying a few words about lampstand. And then it's like he flips the channel again. And the next thing you know, it's the family channel because Jesus' family shows up. And Luke says a few things about the family. And you think, what is... <laughs> this just jumps around. But it doesn't. Not if you really... Look at it carefully and ask the Spirit to guide you. Here, there is one theme through all of these channels. And the one theme is listening. Listening. It's listening to the voice. Listening to the voice of God 
that's being expressed by the Son of God, and He is sharing the Word of God. That is the theme that goes through. It's listening. Listening. Now, isn't it interesting? All the Gospels begin. All the Gospels, when they begin the ministry of Jesus, they begin with a story of a voice. It's a voice. It's the voice of a prophet. It's the voice of John the Baptist. And some think he's the Messiah. And they say, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm just a voice. But there's someone coming after me. He's not been revealed to me yet, but I will know him. And finally, Jesus comes and requests to be baptized by John. And John knows it's the voice. It's the voice of the one he's been preparing the people to hear the voice of God through the voice of his son. And he baptizes the Son of God and what? At that moment there is a voice that speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son. In Him I'm well pleased. And from that moment on, the whole emphasis of the Gospels go from a voice to the voice. The voice of the Son of God. Who is the king. He's the king. And now Jesus. He is on this mission. Establishing his kingdom. He's sharing the message of his kingdom. He's laying down the foundational truths. We could call them the constitution of his kingdom. He's sharing the message of the kingdom. And notice he is emphasizing that people listen. This is what ties everything together. He shares these parables. And notice he says in verse 18, verse 8 rather, He who has ears to hear, let him what? Hear. Mark that in your Bible. If you're marking your Bible, mark hear. Look at verse number 10, he says that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Mark the word hearing. Look at verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word. Mark, they have heard. Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word. They receive it with joy, but they don't last. Mark, they hear. Then look at verse 14. Some fell among the thorns. They are those when they hear. But as they go the way, choked out by cares and pleasures, riches of this earth, the fruit does not mature. And for those that fall in the good soil, they are those who, verse 15, hear. And hold fast in an honest and good heart. They bear fruit with patience. Now this is where it seems like Jesus is 
moving someplace completely else, or maybe it's like Luke is flipping the channels because the next thing you know, he starts talking about this lampstand. But look at it again, verse 18, after having told the parable of the lampstand, Jesus says, take care then how you, what? Hear. It's a message about how you hear. Then Luke flips the channels again. Here comes his family trying to see him, trying to talk to him. And Jesus doesn't go out to see them, but he answers verse 21. My brother, my mother and brothers are those who, what? Hear the word of God and do it. All of this season that Luke is describing, though it feels to us maybe like flipping the channels, it's all tied together by the importance of hearing God's voice. And my friends, in the ever-flipping channels that flip in your life, in your life, day after day, many times through the day, what do we need above all things? To hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God. Verse 18, here is the key that we listen, we hear God's word. And the heart of all this is verse 21. Take care how you hear the word of God and not just hear it, but what? Do it. Do it. Now, how should we hear the word of God? How should we listen to the voice? Now, I hope this morning you won't turn your back on me while you listen, okay? Don't do it like the program. But look and listen. It's not my voice, but the Holy Spirit wants us to learn two incredible lessons about listening. Listening to the voice. How do we listen to the voice in such a noisy world? Well, here's two listening lessons. Number one. We're to listen to God's word as the guiding light in our lives. We're to listen to God's word, his voice. God's voice is in his word. We're to listen to God's word as the guiding light in our lives. Now, Jesus has just shared a lengthy parable saying that the word of God is like seed. Look back at verse number 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed that's being sown into people's hearts is the word of God. It is the voice of God. It's the word of God. And he says that this word of God is its life containing it contains life there is life in the word of god and it is not only life containing it's life producing 
There is life. There is spiritual life in the Word of God. And when you open your heart, your mind to the Word of God with a desire to know God and do His will, His Word will come alive in your life. It is a living. It is life-containing. It is life-producing. This is not just a book with paper and ink. It is the living, breathing Word of God, inspired by the breath of God. It's alive. It'll bring life to us. By God's grace, when we receive God's Word with willing hearts, it never fails to produce life in us. Fruit in us. Look at verse 15. As for that, as for that seed in the good soil... They, not the seeds, but the soil, they are those, they are people who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. He's describing people whose hearts are like good soil. They, they receive the word of God with sincerity. They receive it gladly. <laughs> they hold it steadfastly. They continue holding it persistently. And it's producing fruit. Now, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was doing some walking. I like to do walking for some exercise. And I like to kind of prayer walk, blend it together. And so this time I, I went to some place, I had been a long time, I went to a place called Dowell Springs. And you know that down Middlebrook, about two miles east of here. It's a, a professional and business office center. There's beautiful sidewalks up through there. There's also cascading waterfalls up there as well. You can go up there for free. It's about the only thing in Dowell Springs that's free, I'll tell you that, okay? <laughs> But now, why is it called Dowell Springs? Because it was originally the site of Jacob Lonus Farm. You know all the roads, West Knoxville, Lonus. goes back to the Lonus family. Well, the first one was Jacob Lonus, who came here in the early 1790s. He built a cabin there by a beautiful spring. Off right now, what's Middlebrook Pike down here? Stayed in the family for over 150 years, then transferred over to the Dowell side of his descendants. I remember Miss Mary Dowell, who was a member here for many years, she died at the age of 95. She was born in that house. There at Dowell Springs. She was born in the same room her mother was born in. And I used to go visit her and she told me stories from her childhood. She could remember back. It was amazing. She told me the history of that place. So I'm up there, I'm walking around, I'm thinking about Miss Mary. I'm thinking about what this area must have been like. And then I got on the trail that led down to the spring, the original spring. Now the spring... It bursts out of the ground down there. 
but it's fed by an underground river. Now, don't get afraid, but what I'm about to tell you, there is an underground river that runs right beneath our feet, right behind us. It goes down this little valley where Middlebrook is. It, it feeds into Walker Springs and what was Cabot Station, and all kinds of springs would become little creeks that flow into the Tennessee River. It comes out on down toward Knoxville, one of the springs was this beautiful spring down there, Dowell Springs, Lona Springs. They estimate this underground river at places is 500 feet deep. Yeah, forget about that all right now, okay? <laughs> it feeds all these springs. And so I was walking down there, I went down to that spring house and here's what I saw I saw this I hope it comes up I took a picture of it here next to the spring is this giant oak tree and it sits right next to the spring it's got to be 150 to 200 years old and you can't quite see it here but that thing is so big and tall and spreads out it's amazing in its size and guess what it wraps its roots around huge rocks. Years and years and years ago, it started using the rocks as a stabilizing force. Started wrapping its roots around the rocks, not being stopped by the rocks, but strengthened by the rocks. And now this thing's towers stands there. And it all started... I thought about it with one acorn. One acorn produced this massive tree that has stood there for decades and decades and decades and is shading all that area and is wrapping its roots around rocks that have tried to stop it and it is fed by that spring and it's alive. You know, God's word can do that. Someone as well said, God can produce a mushroom in one night. But it takes him years to build an oak. And grow an oak. We got to decide what do we want to be. A mushroom Christian or we want to be an oak. And there is no obstacle. Listen, there is no obstacle. There's no rock. There's no storm that can overcome a person's life that is wrapped deeply into the water of the Spirit of God. With the life of God flowing through that one's very essence, we can stand Brothers and sisters, listen. In times of storms and difficulties and challenges and questions and conflict and fear, yes, and uncertainty, there is a river whose streams make glad the people of God. That's the river of the life of our God. And we are nourished by the word of God. We can stand. 
God's word can do that. Now, why did Jesus change this metaphor? Why did he go from talking about good soil, produces fruit, it, it lasts and steadfastly, and then the next thing he says, verse 16, now no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. He changes the metaphor. Jesus changes the metaphor. You know, we're told you're not supposed to mix metaphors when you're writing or speaking. But Jesus can do that. You know why? Because he's Jesus. He's allowed. He's, he can mix all the metaphors he wants. And he goes from using the image of, of the seeds to a lamp. Does it immediately. He says this, that no one, after lighting a lamp, this is an oil lamp that they'd use in that day, small container, a little clay vessel, hold it up as they'd walk or put it on a stand, and it would give light to the whole room. He says, no one lighting one of these oil lamps in your dark Galilean homes, having put the lamp up on the stand, is going to put a pot over the top of it, a jar. He's certainly going to not take it and put it under the bed. But no. He puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, what, what's being connected here? Jesus has just talked about the word being planted in our lives. Planted in our lives like seeds, right? But being planted in our lives is not the same as the seed being buried in our lives. You see, the seed planted, the God's word planted in your life, is not to be buried. It's not to be covered up. It's not that you learn some things, you gain some insights, and you just keep them all to yourself. No, he says, this word of God, which is planted in your heart, is not to be buried in secret. You are to let it shine in your life and shine it out in the lives of others. That's what he's saying. Jesus is using an illustration. People would chuckle when they'd hear this. Well, it'd be ludicrous. Of course, it's ludicrous to have a lamp and put it under a jar or put it under the bed. That's right. He used a ludicrous illustration so he could make an obvious application. He wanted it to be obvious. That God's word should not be like a lamp that is hidden. It should not be like a seed that does not produce life. God's word should be never, never lightless or lifeless in us. Right? He wants the word of God to produce fruit in our life. He wants us to experience it and then he wants us to express the word of God so that we actually are participating in sharing the light. That's what Jesus is saying. Now there's, there's three quick applications I just want to make here. They're not on the screen, but just let me make them quickly. Three applications about... This light of the Lord. 
Number one, the purpose of God's word is illumination. The purpose of God's word is illumination. And where is that illumination to begin? In our own lives. You see, before we ever say, hey, let me shine some light of understanding into you about that subject. Let me give you some light. We need to first make sure that the light shines where? In our own hearts. It begins with a purpose of illumination in our own lives. And then we share it with others. What is it that Jesus refers to us as? He says, you are the what? Light of the world. You are to be like a city set on a hill. You know, people say, well, I don't want anybody to notice me. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not that people will notice you. They'll notice what is coming out of you and they will know it's not you. It's God. Because you could never do that. (laughs) Only God. And that's how we are the light of the world. See, the reality is we're not light like the sun. We're like the moon. We're light reflectors. The moon never does actually shine. And and it never did shine in moonshine. I want you to know that. (laughs) The moon reflects light. The moon is just a chuck chunk of rock and it shines because the sun shines on it even when it's dark my friend that's the way we're to be it's in the dark hours that we reflect the light of the sun sunlight sunlight number two the power of God's Word is revelation. What's God want to do through His Word? Look at verse 17. There's revelation. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Jesus is talking about revelation. He says, listen, God's Word, God's truth, will bring everything into the light. Everything's going to come into the light of God's truth someday. God's word is God's voice. It's God's truth. And listen carefully, friends. Truth, light, divides. And God's word, God's voice, remember, God's word is God's voice. It not only illuminates the darkness, it reveals the darkness. How do you know what is dark? What does not agree with the Word of God? Light and darkness are not determined by society. Light and darkness are not determined by popularity. Light and darkness are not determined by any other source than God himself because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Whatever does not agree with God's word 
is not light. And it's not neutral, it's dark. See, God's Word gives light. Praise God. That God has shined His light into our hearts in the face of Jesus Christ. But God's light also reveals the darkness. God defines the light, and what is not of His light is darkness. And my friend, this is the tragedy. Here is the tragedy of tragedy. Light has come into this world. This is what Jesus said. The tragedy of tragedies is that light has come into this world, but men, mankind, has loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because they don't understand the light? No. Because their deeds are evil. You see, folks, here's the truth. Listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. People decide what they want to do, and then having decided what they want to do, they construct a philosophy that allows that to happen. Why is that? Because the mind that does not have God's truth cannot know truth. And whatever a mind, the mind of man apart from God is thinking about is not going to be light, but darkness. And darkness is not neutral. Darkness is active. Jesus said this is the terrible judgment that's come to the world. Light has come. Light has come. The light has come in Jesus Christ. But sadly, sadly, people want their evil deeds. And so they remain in darkness. Oh, friend, listen. You see why it's important how you embrace the light? If you don't embrace the light, listen, right now. This morning, as you're here, as you're watching, if you don't embrace the light, you're not neutral. It's not wait and see. If you don't embrace the light and listen to get more light, you are going into greater darkness. And friends, when people don't want the light, you know what God does at judgment? You know what judgment is? God grants people their requests. You don't want light, okay? The blackness of the darkness is given to you forever. A place where there is no light. Ever. Ever. The light has come. The light has come. Let's embrace it. There's a priority. We've got to make this a priority. Verse 18. Take care then how you hear. 
Be careful. This is serious. This is what Jesus is saying. Be very careful how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. What is Jesus saying about the light that comes from the word? Basically, he's using, in a sense, what a phrase what we would use today. Use it or lose it. If you don't use the light, if you don't embrace the light, you will lose the light. But if you embrace the light that God gives you, He will give you more light. But if we reject the light, then even the light that we think we have is darkness. You see, folks, when we start reasoning apart from God's word, when, when, listen, when people who know you and are concerned about you are talking to you about where you are, and they're concerned about you, friend, that's not judging. That's, that's light being given you. That's an opportunity. That's a loving light that's saying, don't go into that darkness. Oh, friends, listen. Make sure you examine. We examine our thoughts. We examine our plans. Are they aligning with the light of God's Word? Use it or lose it. And friends, if you do not take the Word of God and take the message of Christ's hope, then the loss is eternal. It's eternal darkness. Who are you willing to listen to? Who will you listen to? You see, he says, take care how you hear. (laughs) How you hear means that you just want to hear. You want to hear. And God's voice, you want that. And when you know it's God's voice, you, you follow that word that's being given to you. Many of you have heard of the great German theologian and martyred Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was hanged on the express orders of Adolf Hitler in early June 1945. Hitler expressly sent word that this Lutheran pastor would be killed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a brilliant theologian. (laughs) He had a PhD at the age of 21. And he had earned a second one by the time he was 24. He was a seeker of truth. And he had been seeking truth in the theological seminaries of Germany. And all he had found there was rationalism and emptiness. Academia, but no light. But because of his brilliance, he won a scholarship to come to New York to study at Union Theological Seminary in New York City for one year from 1930-31. And he went there and found it was filled with the same kind of rationalism and theological unbelief, empty scholarship. And it was right down the street where he went to church and he went to Riverside Church Beautiful, beautiful, majestic Riverside Church. The church that John D. Rockefeller had built. 
And he heard no gospel there, even though the famous pastor, Dr. Henry Emerson, Harry Emerson Fosdick was the pastor. He said, I found empty oratory. And finally, as he was complaining, a classmate named Charles Fisher said, do you want to hear something different? He said, yes. And Charles Fisher, who was also a scholar that year there, was the son of Charles Fisher. This is Albert Fisher. He's the son of Charles Fisher, who's the pastor of the 16th Avenue Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Albert Fisher, son of Charles Fisher, African-American brothers who knew the Lord, and Albert Fisher invited Dietrich Bonhoeffer to attend church in Harlem with him at the Abyssinia Baptist Church in Harlem. And there, Diedrich Bonhoeffer heard preaching like he had never heard it before from Dr. Powell. He heard the preaching of the love of God and he heard the preaching of victory over oppression and he heard singing by people and choir like he had never heard in his life and he was captivated. He attended every Sunday with his friend Albert. They actually became Sunday school teachers in this church. And here was Diedrich Bonhoeffer teaching in this church. He was a pale, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed German teaching Sunday school at the Abyssinia Baptist Church in Harlem. And his life had been changed. And he spent as much money as he could getting recordings of the worship services and any other recordings he could get of the singing praises of God. He took them back with him to Germany. And you know what? He would take German young men on camping trips. And he would get out a player and a generator would empower that player and he would play these recordings. And his closest friend said he came back a changed man. He came back. Here's what his friend's closest friend said. He left a brilliant man and he came back a Jesus man. Amen. And it all happened. in an environment and from messengers that were as far from his world as could be imagined. But they had the voice of God. And my friend, let me tell you something. Love listens. Love listens to God's voice. Who are you listening to? Who has first voice? I don't have time to even open this. All of that is point one. <laughs> and a long introduction about a silly remote control. Whose voice is most important? You know what? Jesus' family got concerned about him. You see the next verses? His mother shows up. His brothers, Jesus had four of them. We know he had at least two sisters. 
And they thought Jesus, his brothers thought Jesus, he's had an emotional breakdown. He's physically and emotionally breaking down. We've got to take him home. Mark 3, verses 20 and 21 says that. They said, he is out of his mind. Now think about that. Mary knew who he was, of course. But the Bible tells us his own brothers and sisters did not believe in him, that he was the Messiah. But they did love him, and he loved them. And there came a time they were so concerned about him that they brought a family intervention. Can you believe this? A family intervention. Because they believed Jesus was going to have a physical and mental breakdown. They told Jesus, your family wants to see you. Oh, how he loved his mother. And he loved his brothers and his sisters. But here's what he said. Verse 21. My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's not being disrespectful. He's not being smart. But what he is saying is this. There is a voice that guides my life. And as much as I love my family, and as much even as I love my dear mother, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters are not the voice that guides my life. My, vo- my life is guided by the voice of my father. And then he said this. Oh, listen to this. Closer to me than my physical family are those who are my spiritual family. And they show it because they hear my word and they do it. Was Jesus being mean to his family? No. He was doing the very best thing he could do for his family, putting God's voice above theirs. And it bore fruit because the next time and the last time in the Bible you read about Mary... She's in the upper room, one of the 120. And it says his brothers and sisters were there too. These people who thought he had lost his mind for a while. Finally came to know, no. He is God's servant. He is our Savior. My son is my savior. My brother is my savior. My sister is my savior. And they were gathered in that 120, worshiping the Lord. My friend, listen to me. The best thing you can do for anyone, the most loving thing you can do for your family and those closest to you, is let them know, yes, you love them. But the voice you hear above all voices is the voice of your Father in heaven, your King Jesus. And friend, I don't know, you may have come from a bad family, but I want to tell you, listen carefully to me, you have a family in Jesus. You will be loved in this family. You'll be loved. You're not alone. 
There, no matter what has been the scars, no matter how twisted your family tree may be, there is a family for you closer even than blood. What's closer than blood? Spirit. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. I thank you so much for your attention. I truly do. Oh, friend, have you heard his voice today? Have you heard his voice? Come out of the darkness. Come to the light. Come to Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear from Jesus. He loves you. And he gave himself for you. Come to Jesus. And oh, dear friend, what is your direction in life? What guides your decision? Whose voice is the most important voice to you? The voice of friends, the voice of co-workers, the voices that come from the world. Whose voice is the most important voice? Oh, friend, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the voice of the one who loves you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, love you. Listen to the voice this morning. In Jesus' name, God's people said,